All right, go ahead and grab a Bible and get with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. And the Bibles that we have, which would be in the baskets down by your feet, uh, they are blue Bibles, and 1 Kings 17 would be on page 283. And, and in this uh, little episode here, we have this example of what it looks like to be committed to God. We're talking about being 100% committed to the things of God, and we get to see uh, in, in this experience here in 1 Kings chapter 17, we get to see what it looks like to entrust yourself to God himself, um, to, to be 100% committed. And so I want to read the passage, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll get right to work. Uh, we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to go all the way to verse 24. It says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the... What the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Let's pray. God, we ask right now that by your Spirit, through your word, God, that you would help us to believe in you, that you would help us to trust in you, that you would help us to place our faith in you, the good God, the living God, the God who is active in our lives, Lord. Would you help us to see that you can care for us and provide for us because you are the Lord? Would you help us, each one of us, to, to believe that you are at work in our lives and be confident that we can follow you completely? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this story, we're going to see that God can be trusted, that we can believe that he exists and that he cares for us. 
We can, we can give our lives entirely to him. We can surrender our lives to whatever his agenda is for us. And we can see that because of three different things. We can see it because he cares for us, he provides for us, and he is the Lord. So let's take that one at a time. One of the things that we notice here is that God cares for people. And he cares for those who are even marginalized and, and kind of on the outskirts, on the outside. We see him caring for this man named Elijah. He's able to provide for him. He's able to direct him and show him where, where he needs to go and give him what he needs. And, and, and he's able to do that in surprising ways that we'll look at in just a moment. But he's also able to care for the widow, somebody who would be considered an outsider. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way before, but I have sat with people, and I've personally experienced this, where people can think about where they're at presently, and they can go, I think God has a, a plan and a position for everyone else in the world, and they seem to be getting along just fine. But I don't know where I fit. I don't know if there's a place in life for me. I don't know what God is doing in my life, in my experience, but I don't feel that I found my, for some people it's vocation. I don't feel that I found my place of employment that is going to give me life. I don't feel that I found my crew of relationships where I feel that I fit in, and, and many people experience that. And in this story, God reminds us that he cares for the outsider. He cares for the people who feel marginalized. He cares for people like you and I who sometimes feel that we are out of place. The widow, look at verse 9, Elijah is directed to go to this place, and he says, I have a widow there in Zarephath to supply you with food. And he's going to use this widow then to provide for Elijah himself, but this widow is somebody who has lost a loved one and therefore would be socially vulnerable. She doesn't have a means of employment. She, in that society, she couldn't just go out and get a job. She had to rely on some of the systems and structures in their society. She was very vulnerable, and she had nothing, and it was kind of made even more pronounced because it was a season of famine. There wasn't rain. There wasn't crops and produce that she could go out into the field and glean from that. There was a famine going on, and so she has nothing. And when Elijah shows up, she honestly confesses, look, I have nothing but a little bit of flour and a jar of oil, and I'm about to go home and make a meal for my son and I. We will eat it, and then we'll die. Look at verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. She has nothing. She is, she is you know, feeling that experience of, I don't know what else to do here. I've got no course of action to, to remedy this. She is a widow and she is vulnerable and she has nothing. And from the perspective of, of Elijah and the people of God, she is an outsider. She's a widow from Zarephath, which is a region where uh, it's, n it's not the people of God. It's not a, a, a hometown location. God is sending him to this area that is enemy-occupied, and she is a resident there. So she's an outsider in that sense. She's not a part of the family of God. And so in, in that sense, she's an outsider. She's, she's um, somebody that, that later on Jesus would use as an example in Luke chapter 4 of somebody who is not included normally in the family of God. And he looks at that situation that happened with Elijah and this widow, and he says, look, she experienced something profound, though she was an outsider. She experienced this incredible reality, even though she wasn't somebody who would normally be the target of the people of God and God's grace and God's provision. 
One commentator, he puts it like this. He says, the widow is an example of an outsider, someone on the fringe, who when given an opportunity to respond to God's gracious saving provision, believes and lives. Sometimes insiders, though, are not willing to believe and may be critical when outsiders are welcomed in. This story tells us that God cares about those who are outsiders, those who don't look like people who are going to show up to a church service like this and fit right in. And God is able to love them and care for them, and he displays that care in profound ways. This widow is an example of of, of a person that God is able to say, though you don't fit normally, I'm going to include you. You're going to experience the goodness of God. And we're reminded then that God is looking after people who aren't really noteworthy, that aren't high up in the social standing. Uh, The commentator puts it like this. He says, after 16 chapters talking about kings, talking about people and their power and their prominence, we, we are able to see that God cares about widows and orphans. And it's this reminder, God cares for those who feel excluded. God cares deeply for those who would consider themselves to be outsiders. He, he shows his care away from the palace and the centers of power, and he makes his character known to this unsuspecting widow in Zarephath. He, he's able to display love for her. Now, here's why this is so important, because many of us can relate to this widow in different ways. Many of us need to be reminded that God sees and he cares, that he knows what we're going through, and he's able to identify us in our desperation, and he's able to, to care for us there. Now, uh, we don't have a lot of widows in our congregation. I can think of one that's a part of our church family and a part of our, a part of our campus family, but I think a lot of us can relate to her in the sense that if we were to use this kind of language, and this is, I think, the language that she has. I don't know what else to do, but I know I have nothing left to give. When you begin to make it like that, I think a lot of us can connect with her. I don't know what else to do, but I know this. I don't have anything left in me. Now, when we begin to give it that sort of language, I, I started thinking about some of you guys. And some of you guys are going through stuff right now where you would say that sort of thing. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. I just know that I'm at my wit's end. Some of you are going through, there were three people that came to mind, you're going through health-related struggles right now. You have tried everything. You have gotten second and third opinions. You have exhausted resources. You've done what you can to try to pursue physical health, and it is fleeting. And you might be at a place now where you are saying, I don't know what else to do, but I don't have any other course of action here. I guess it is what it is. I'm going to have to live with this, and I'm going to have to deteriorate and just eventually die. I don't know what else to do. Some of you can connect with the widow in that way because you're going through very profound health issues right now or loved ones that you know are going through them, and that's incredibly hard on you. Some of us are going through relational conflict right now where the relationships are so broken so beyond repair in your mind that you've lost hope. You might be thinking to yourself, I've done everything that I can here. I've worked hard at this relationship. It is so fractured, so broken. There's so much hurt and pain here that I don't know what else I could possibly do to make anything any better. And you've just resigned then. And you just kind of say, it is what it is. This is how it's going to be. This relationship is devastated. Some of you are living there right now. You are going through a season in your relationship where it is profoundly broken. 
It could be a, a, a spouse, significant other. It could be family members or even co-workers. But some of you are living in that place right now, and God is saying, I see and I care. I see where you're at, and you might feel that this is beyond hope, but it is not. A third category that came to mind, and this is closer to the experience of the widow. Some of you are, are going through financial struggles, just like this widow. You are, you, you're trying to do everything you can to make ends meet. You're trying to do what you can to land a job and keep that job and provide for your family, but you just can't seem to, to, to pull it off. And you've been working really, really hard at it, and the bills keep stacking up, and you can't, you can't get your head above water financially. And some of you are living in that situation right now, just like the widow, saying, I don't know what else to do. I've tried what I can, and it is not working. And in the midst of that, God is speaking to us and saying, I see you, and I care for you, and I want you to know I am with you. This widow becomes an example of somebody who is at wit's end, and God is going to step in and do something very very profound for her. So God cares. He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through, and therefore we can trust him. We can trust him because he sees you and he cares. That leads us to our second thing that we're going to explore this morning, and that's the reality that God not only sees you and he cares for you, but he's also able to provide. You can trust God. You can entrust your life to God because he is able to provide for you. It says that God was providing for Elijah. He did that in some very surprising ways, in unlikely places, from unlikely people. If you look at verses 7 and 8, it says, Sometime later the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, Go at once to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. What is God doing? He is providing for this individual for Elijah, and he's done it now in some very odd ways. If you look up at the previous paragraph, he provided for Elijah by giving him meat and bread and drink from the, from the brook twice a day. Like he had two solid meals twice a day. God was providing for him, but it was from the mouths of ravens. That he was in this kind of dried up area, this desert area, and God says, go there at my direction and I will provide for you. I will give you food and drink. And he does that. And when the brook dries up, he says, okay, now here's what I want you to do next. I want you to go to Zarephath. I have directed a widow to provide for you. That's just, that, that's just odd, right? Because in the way it's supposed to work is wealthy people are supposed to make provision for those who are poor and destitute. Wealthy people, this is what would make sense, is if there were people who had abundance and they made arrangements to be able to care for and provide for the widows. That's what the New Testament tells the church to do. That when we find somebody who's in need, somebody who can't provide for themselves and their family, we need to step in and do something about that. And God says, in my economy, it's going to be exactly backwards. I can provide for you so dramatically that I can use a widow to give you what you need. And he has to hear that word and obey it by faith, and he marches into this unlikely place, this enemy-occupied territory. This is a place where the queen Jezebel lives, and she is a bad, bad woman. She's a bad girl. She does stuff, her and her husband Ahab. One of the reasons why these stories are given to us is because they are leading the people of God away from God, into rebellion, into worship of other gods. And God says, hey, Elijah, I want you to go there. 
And I'm going to provide for you there. You're going to go deeper into the heart of enemy-occupied territory with this confrontational message that's going to get you in trouble. But I'm going to provide for you there. I'm going to provide a widow who's going to look after you. Now, here's, here's one of the things that we need to be aware of then. Sometimes arriving at God's provision, we're going to have to take the long way around. Sometimes getting to the place where God is providing for us doesn't make a lot of sense. And we need to trust that God is able to provide for us even when mathematically or rationally it just doesn't stack up. Some of you right now are at a fork in the road and you have some options in front of you and some of those options would lead to things that are lucrative, things that make sense, things that you can, you can understand if I do this, it's going to be better for me and for my family and I'd have abundance then and I could give more away and we have this option here and, and, and then the fork in the road says, but there's another path and you could go in this direction and it doesn't look like it makes a lot of sense. It's not going to be more lucrative for you on paper. It's not going to be the better option for your family and for your finances. But if God is calling you to move in this direction, then trust that he's able to provide for you. If he's saying, I want you to go deeper into a place where there's going to be hostility, but you're going to, you're going to honor my name here. You're going to go to a place where you're going to have to depend by faith that, that I'll provide for you because you won't be able to do that on your own. Some of us have to make that choice to be able to say, this doesn't totally make sense, but I'm going to go with God. I'm going to trust that he's going to provide for me if I follow him. And that's exactly what happens. Elijah goes there, and God provides for him. And one of the things that we see is we don't have to worry about running out if we are following God. Look at verses 13 and following. Elijah said to her, after she explained, I don't have anything to give you, he says, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Many of us, myself included, we worry about sharing too much. And this can be financially we can look at it and go, man, I don't want to give away so much because that could put us in a rough spot. For me, often it's with time. The most valuable commodity that I have is my time. And I look at things and I go, if I say yes to this, if I'm going to spend time with these individuals, then I'm saying no to some other things. And I've got a lot of different responsibilities as a campus pastor and a husband and a daddy and, and a student and, and, and a friend and all these different things. And I, I think about time and I'm selfish with it. And I want to set healthy boundaries. And I don't want to give a lot of this stuff away. I don't want to just be freely giving of my time and energy because that could be devastating. But the lesson we see here is if we are following God's directive, we don't have to be worried about running out. That we can give to what God is calling us to give to, and we will still be sufficiently resourced. That we can give stuff away even when it feels like we don't have much to give. And we can give it away freely and God continues to resupply us. So we, we can be confident that God will provide for us if we follow him. And that frees us up then to be generous. Generous with our money, generous with our time, generous with our energy. We can trust that if we will give what little we do have to bless other people, God will provide. But that's going to require that we do what he says. Look at verses 15 and 16. We have to be willing to follow by faith what God is calling us to do. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. 
So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by, by Elijah. She had to do what he had asked her to do. She had to say, look, I'm, I'm going to follow through on what you are asking of me. And she had to believe that it was going to work out well for her. So when we think about this and we begin to apply this to, to us and our situation, what does it look like then for us to align ourselves in a way where we could experience God's provision? Well, we have to be obedient. If God is calling us to be generous, even with the, the small amount that we have, if we follow God, we can trust that he will provide. We need to be able to say, even in the midst of our poverty and brokenness, even though we don't have much to offer, when we assess our lives and we go, you know, do I have enough resources or time or energy or talents? And we go, I don't have much to offer. And you say, okay, but if God is calling me to give and be generous, then even with the little bit that I have, I am going to first and foremost give it to the priorities of God. I'm going to give in a way that reflects that I believe him and I believe him to be the provider of everything that I have. And then we can watch as God provides for us. So here's my pastoral encouragement to, to all of us. When we look at what we do have, even if it's a very, very small amount, one of the things that we could do is say, I am first of all going to give some of this away in the direction of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying it has to be our campus. This isn't some underhanded way to try to get more money from you. I'm not saying you have to give to our campus. You can pick a person that you know is in need, and you can begin to give in that direction. You could pick one of the partner ministries that we that we cherish and love around here, Young Life and Rock House Kids and, and House of Grace and uh, JJM and all these different ministries, uh, you could decide, I'm going to give to a Christian organization and I'm going to trust that they're going to use that to advance the kingdom, but I'm going to do that first of all. I'm going to do that first and, and I'm going to believe that God can provide for me. And what I have isn't much. That's okay. In fact, Jesus later on, he was sitting in the temple and he was watching people bring their offerings and drop them in the, the temple treasury. This is Mark chapter 12. And Jesus was watching all these people, and some of them, I'm sure, had some very large donations to make. And, and ironically, this widow walks up and drops in two small coins worth only a couple cents. And he looks at her, and then he calls the disciples to him. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 43. He calls the disciples to him, and he said, Truly I tell you, this widow has put, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, mathematically, that's not true. But in the kingdom of God, in God's economy, that's true. If you have a very small amount, but you are by faith giving faithfully, sacrificially, Jesus looks at that. He looks at this widow and he says, that is commendable in the kingdom of God. She is giving more than everybody else. Now, we might try to rationalize away the responsibility to give. I know for me, sometimes I think, yeah, when I make enough and I have margin, that's when I'll start giving more. But the truth is, we see here, it's not, we shouldn't be waiting until we have more. We should be trusting that God is the great provider. And so we just start with what we have. And we give a little bit away. And we trust that God is going to be able to resource us and provide for us. We can trust God because he provides for us. Now, many of you, I know for fact, you've done this. 
and you have a testimony, you have stories of how you've given to the kingdom of God, you've given to kingdom purposes, and you've given at times when it was sacrificial and hard, you've given when you've had a little and when you've had a lot, and you can say, along with me, that when you do that, God continues to provide for you and your family. And it doesn't always make sense when you're adding it up and looking at your bills and trying to figure out how that worked out, but when you trust God and when you give in a way that he calls you to give, he will provide for you so you can trust him. You can trust him because he's able to provide. Third, you can trust him because he's the Lord. You can trust him because he is the Lord. He displays his lordship, first of all, through his word. One of the main things running through this whole chapter, and really a big section of this book, is the fact that God's word displays the fact that he's in control and he's doing something. So if you just look at this chapter right here, there, there are actually five different times where the word of the Lord is kind of highlighted. And so verse 2, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The, the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him what he needs to do. In verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him. Again, the word of the Lord is this, this active dynamic in this, in this uh, story. In verse 14, he tells the widow to do something, and he says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Again, the word of the Lord. When it happens that way and the jug doesn't run out and the flower doesn't go away, it's explained in verse 16, this is happening according to what the word of the Lord had said. And then finally, in verse 24, at the very end of what we're looking at this morning, when the widow recognizes the power of God, what does she attribute it to? She says, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So over and over again, we're seeing that God is Lord, and one of the ways that we experience that is through the power of his word. That God's word reveals to us God's power and his ability. So if, if we're thinking about it then, then here's the question. The question that's being put to us is, is the word powerful? Is it effective? Is it trustworthy? And to, to all those different questions, we have to say, yes, this story reveals that God is in control, and by his word, he is accomplishing his purposes. That God is in control, he is Lord, and he is using his word through his prophet to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So we can trust God because he is the Lord, and he displays his lordship through his word. Now here's some stuff for us to think through. If that is true, then doesn't it make sense that we ought to be positioning ourselves to experience more of the word of God? Right? If this is the power, if this is the thing that God is using to accomplish his purposes, if it's powerful and effective, then shouldn't we be concerned with, I want to get to know this book better. I want to I order my life so that this book has more of an influence on me. And shouldn't our church be a place where the word of God can be read and heard and applied? If the word is one of the ways that God displays his lordship, then we certainly want to highlight that as a church family. Here's another thing that we see. We can trust God because he is Lord, and we see his lordship in the fact that he is Lord over life and death and resurrection. And at the end of the story, what happens? Verse 17, the child gets sick. He grows more and more ill. He stops breathing. He dies, and the woman Morning now brings the complaint before Elijah and says, she says, what, what is going on here? Have you come simply to, to, to aggravate the fact that I'm a sinner and to, 
to take my son from me? What's going on here? And she's angry with God, and you guys know those who have experienced loss and devastation, it's very hard to navigate that experience of, God, why did this happen? And that's her, and she's saying that, and Elijah scoops this boy up, and he takes him up to where he's staying, and he lays him there, and he begins to cry out over him. God, would you please restore this child's life? And he prays, and God hears that prayer, and the, the, the child comes back to life, and he brings the boy down to the mom. Can you imagine if you lost your child, and this child comes back and is alive again? And he says, here is your son. He is alive. And what are we seeing then? You can trust God, because he is Lord over life and death and resurrection. He is in control. He is the one who we can go to knowing that he is able to make things right again. He is the living God who makes things live. Look at verses 22 and 23. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. He is the God who can resurrect. And we as Christians then, those of us that are believers in Christ, we should have great confidence. We're, we are invincible. No matter what we're going through, we can be confident. We watch all these movies. My son loves all the superheroes. And, and I keep reminding him, to be a Christian is to be more powerful than any superhero on Marvel. Because though we die, yet we will live. He is the God who is Lord over the resurrection. So John in John 5, 28 and 29 says, there's a day coming when all who are in their graves will hear God's voice, will hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ and come out. And that, that changes stuff. And we've said this around here before, but we need to get comfortable with this language where no matter what we're going through, we can say sincerely, no matter how broken something is, no matter how devastating something is, we should be able to say, this is nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. I went wakeboarding this week with the camp kids. It was the first time this year. I was trying to be a show-off, and I landed hard and hurt my knee, and I'm hobbled up, and I'm walking around, and everyone's all concerned. Is your knee okay? Is your knee okay? And I need to be able to say, look, this is nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. And when life is broken and it's hurting and other things are going on, we ought to be able to say, God is in control of life and death and resurrection. There is nothing that could come against me that a good resurrection can't fix. I'm following the Lord Jesus who is alive and reigns forevermore. So how should we respond then? We should respond the same way that the woman does. Look at verse 24. The woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is is the truth. She responds, acknowledging the power that is at work through the word spoken by this individual. Now, here's what we have. We have a great advantage. We have the rest of the Bible, and we can see that there is not just a man of God named Elijah, but there's a man of God who's greater than Elijah. There's not one who just has to tell us what the word says. There's one who is himself the word of God. It's Jesus Christ. There's not one who has the power just to raise people up when they get sick or die. Jesus is the one who resurrected himself and promises that one day at his voice, at his coming, all who are in their graves will rise to hear his voice. We are following Jesus, the man of God, who is the truth. And therefore, we can trust him. We can follow him. We know because we have the word of God and we see Jesus on display. We can follow him. We can surrender to him. 
We can let our lives be 100% committed to him because Jesus is the one who cares for us. He is the one who provides for us. And he is the one who resurrects us. So would you place your faith in him? Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for this church family, and I pray for everyone in here who hears my voice that they would see the beauty and the glory of our risen and reigning Lord. And no matter what's going on in life right now for all these individuals, would you help them to believe that you see them and you care? Would you help them to trust that you are able to provide for them? Even if it doesn't make sense, Lord, could you help them to believe that you're going to look after them and give them everything that they need? And, and even if it doesn't get immediately better anytime soon, would you help them to have confidence that you are Lord over them? And one day, one day, there is a sure victory for those of us that have placed our faith in him. God, for anyone in here who has not surrendered their life to Jesus, would you give them boldness right now to take a step of faith and to say, you are real, you are alive, and my life is yours. I surrender to you. I place my faith in you. Lord, would you help us to, all of us, to trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to do one more song, and I'm actually going to head over to the prayer little area there and if, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you and nudging you to, to respond, um, not only in singing, but in some other way, uh, myself and a member of the prayer team will be over there. We'd be happy to, to walk you through that. Um, but let's all sing together right now.